You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of our RSAC 365 podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Casey Zirkus, Senior Content Manager with RSA Conference. And our theme for June is supply chain security. So today we'll be talking with Matt Tickham, CEO at Peak InfoSec, about the impact of the DOD's third-party supply chain risk management program. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so that you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask Matt to take a moment to introduce himself before we dive into today's topic. Hi, Casey. Thank you. Well, I am Matt Titcom. I'm the CEO of Peak InfoSec. So we're primarily talking about DOD's efforts to protect its intellectual property today. I've been working in this space uh, relatively uh, soon, right after we formed our company, and we jumped into this space beginning in 2017. And when DOD started their efforts around their supply chain management program for third-party audits in 2019, I was already heavily involved as a part of the ecosystem, writing standards, developing curriculum. It's kind of led us into eventually um, me becoming certified as a CMMC assessor, and then also our firm being authorized as a third-party assessment organization. So unfortunately, probably spent way too much time in this ecosystem at days, it seems like. Well, hopefully that benefits our conversation today, Matt. You've got a wealth of experience to bring to this talk. So thank you so much for joining us. We've got a lot of acronyms that uh, we'll be using as part of the conversation today, starting with what we've already called the DOD, and we all know it's Department of Defense, and the requirements outlined in the third party's supply chain risk management, which is SCRM program. And that will require companies to implement the NIST SP 800-171 and undergo a CMMC event. So can you break down all of that for our listeners and what is each piece and how they connect to each other? Well, let's first start with that first acronym, CMMC. Uh, So CMMC is the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, and it simply is the third-party certification of an organization's implementation of 800-171. 800-171, when it comes down to it, is just the security control framework that the federal government, not DOD, the federal government has established for protecting its intellectual property that they formally call controlled unclassified information, uh, which injects the second acronym, CUI. So if I do say CUI, that's what I'm talking about. The best way to think about it, it's their intellectual property. Now, 800-171 is really confidentiality-centric. For anybody out there that's familiar with PCI DSS for cardholder data and protecting it, it's very analogous in the way the framework is approached for the organization that's handling that data and how it has to protect it. Now, just understand, you know, while we're thinking DOD, 
this type of intellectual property does cover everything from your personal information for military members, you know, their address, their phone number, their email address, et cetera, all the way to fighter plane blueprints, nuclear weapons information that all potentially gets covered by this. So it's a very broad set of the types of intellectual property the government's trying to protect. It's also broad because, again, this is a federal requirement. DOD is doing what DOD does, and they're leading the charge for the rest of the federal government in implementing the security protections to protect the intellectual property now out in the contractor ecosystem. Now, this gets done via DOD via contractual requirement. So when you win a contract with DOD, you've got a clause that says you've got to implement 800-171. And not only do you have to implement it, now you also have to report your compliance level about your implementation. This is that self-attestation part. And it doesn't just stop there that you won the contract. If you're handling any of that intellectual property and then you're passing it down to a subcontractor, you need to flow those clauses down to them. And so suddenly, this is where things get very large and complicated. Now, the third-party certification part, CMMC, that's all because basically when this requirement went into effect in 2017, the uh, DOD found out very quickly people were not doing it. In 2019, the Department of Defense Inspector General's Office uh, did a report that found not only internally within DOD, the program was poorly run, but in reality, companies, to include some very big name companies in the defense industrial base, were not implementing 800-171. They didn't even have any intentions to do so. So that's what catalyzed everything really in 2019 for the start of the program to start to get formed. And as we know with the federal government, nothing moves fast. That's why four years later on, we're still talking about implementation. Now, that also has led into DOD, uh, their inspector general's office reissuing that report, pretty much saying the same thing. Contractors have gotten better and DOD is still struggling, not surprising. But in reality, all of this third-party certification is really going to be done with a public-private partnership that is done with you know DOD on the side because we're certifying companies that are handling their information. And we're working with the cyber accreditation body, otherwise known as the cyber AB. They are our certification body over us. And then the CMMC third-party assessment organizations like Peak InfoSec, we're the ones that conduct the certification event and then would issue the certification for the companies. We're just talking third-party certification of a company's implementation of 800-171. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you said about, um, you know, when the DOD had first instituted this, that, you know, they found that federal agencies were not implementing it. Is that a function of, as you said, government works slowly or is it complexity? Is it uh, lack of resources? Like what are the greatest obstacles to implementation? So from within the federal government and their struggles with implementing it, you think of like the Joint Strike Fighter, you know, fighter plane, any type of big military technology that starts out as a set of design requirements. 
of, you know, we want a single person fighter plane to go this far, this fast, drop this much ordinance, yada, yada, yada. That's literally the way every one of these programs starts with. DOD then lets the industry create the capability and then test it to see if it meets their requirements. DOD doesn't have the blueprints for all of their weapon systems. They're actually in the contractor base. So now the problem is because they really don't understand the complexity of their own systems, it's hard for them to also then identify where is their intellectual property and where does that intellectual property become something that is a bolt I can go buy in Home Depot that Mm -hmm. isn't bound by this requirement. So it's hard for them. And this is also where we're working with our clients and helping them to educate the program offices and the contracting officers to help them to understand those type of thresholds of where something is just the company's intellectual property or it's just pure commercial off the shelf capability that the DOD is buying. Yeah. The other challenge in this is when I was in the DOD, you know, we were total force of around 2 million people. Trying to educate 2 million people at varying levels and all different types of things that they're doing to do this, that's its own inherent challenge. (laughs) Right, right. I'm glad I'm not responsible for that (laughs) headache. I'll just take one company at a time. I know. It's kind of like, you know, if you've got 10 pounds to lose or 100 pounds to lose, like there's definitely this feeling of overwhelming challenge. You know, the federal government is massive and it's assuring to know that it's really the complexities and (laughs) rather than negligence, right? Um, Because I think sometimes when people just hear or see that headline that like, oh, the government agencies aren't implementing these, it it just feels a little uncomfortable. So thanks for explaining that. Um, Yeah, It is even hard for them to manage their own programs and their own IT. I I ran them in the Air Force when I was a program manager. Mm -hmm. We were never fully compliant. We were always bouncing in and out of compliance. Just life happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, technology changes so quickly that it's hard to stay in compliance. So, Is the CMMC in effect right now, or when does it go into effect, and what happens when it does? Well, CMMC, the actual third-party certification, is not in effect right now. Let me back up a little bit. The requirement to implement 800-171, the 110 security requirements that, if anybody's familiar with, it's derived out of NIST 853, which is kind of the big catalog of security controls, and the requirement to report your conformity to DOD, that is in full effect today. So there's no avoiding that. Now, failure to implement that can lead to things like a False Claims Act charge that companies like Aerodyne settled last year with the Department of Justice for their failure to implement 800-171. So Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, implement 800-171, worry about third-party certification when it all goes into effect, because you can be in bad space. Crystal clear message yeah. coming through. <laughs> now, the the status of the CMMC program, so DOD is in process to uh, submit a rule, a regulation to you know what I refer to as the bureaucrats of the bureaucrats otherwise known as the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. They're the people who actually make sure the regulations are regulatory enough in nature, literally bureaucrats for the bureaucrats. 
that rule will formally create the DOD program. Now, we're waiting for that rule to go out to the office of the bureaucrats of the bureaucrats. It's, I just can't pass that one up. It's just, I've been inside and I understand the way it works. Maybe this month it'll go to them. And I emphasize maybe because I've been saying maybe since February. Um, and if it does, it would come out for comment in September's timeframe. And that would be 60 days. Now, when that rule comes out for comment, we'll know a lot right then. There's two paths. It either comes out as interim, which uh, it would go into effect immediately after the comment period closes. Or it has to go through the full regulatory review, which would add about another year after the comment period closes. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I, I'm to give you an example, some of the readers that are dealing with other federal contracts, the federal government at the federal level just passed a new regulation that requires uh, the banning of TikTok. And I forget the parent company of TikTok. Um, that they cannot be used not only by federal devices, but it also extends out to defense contractors, for example. So, you know, we have to block TikTok on our devices. Mm -hmm. Um, that rule was interim. So it went right into effect. Uh, no review, no nothing. This one, uh, I'm going to toss up. I'm not sure which way it'll go, but we are kind of waiting right now on the ecosystem for this to go into effect. It's so interesting, right? Because we think about uh, these federal mandates, which then can create some other misconceptions about the ripple effects and who will be impacted. But the federal government really has contractors across the globe. And, you know, to your point, public private partnerships. And so how many businesses are we talking about here? And what exactly are the requirements that organizations need to adhere to? Well, so it depends on who you talk to within DOD is the right answer. The, the most dangerous answer for everybody in information security, it depends. And that's DOD, the only answer for everyone in information security. <laughs> pretty much. It's the only one that keeps our, our butts out of being fired. Um, so the uh, DOD program office that, that oversees the CMMC program, their estimates about 300,000 companies globally. Now, if you go down the road from them within the Beltway and you go to the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency, they put that count closer to 3 million. Wow. And part of the issue for that change is when an organization wins a contract, you know, there's that primary company that win, and then there's a list of people that are on that team. Well, the reality is, that prime, you know, we'll pick on Raytheon, for example. Raytheon has an estimate of around 30,000 companies in its direct supply chain. Mm -hmm. Those supply chain members may be, you know, told to make a widget to go on whatever. And that widget, then they break down into parts and they have it go to other parts that make that up. But every one of that decomposition is a flow down of that intellectual property that needs to be protected. So, DOD only really kind of can look at across their historical records across that top tier. We found companies that are five or six down that are so far down the supply chain, DOD doesn't even know they exist. What makes it even worse is IT companies that are managing those defense contractors environment. Most times they're logging in with their computer. They're going directly in. They now have 
access to that government's intellectual property, they're now in scope. Cloud service providers are in scope. Managed security service providers are in scope. Companies like me, because we come in and we do consulting, and we may be given access to it, so we're in scope. And very quickly, when you start looking, this becomes $3 million. And this is not just three million in the U.S. This is a global problem. Um, we've had conversations with companies from Australia to Denmark that are part of the defense industrial base, wow. and it's just huge in how this is going to happen and what's going to be have to be done. Now, the requirements when it comes down to it are actually pretty easy, regardless of your location, regardless of your size. You're required to implement NIST 800-171 by really following the assessor's guide, which is 171 alpha, because we take those 110 requirements and we explode them to 320 objectives. That sounds really easy. Um, (laughs) We just keep multiplying the tasks. So what is the impact on businesses? You know, you you said that your own company is impacted by this and considered in the scope. So I have to imagine that, you know, you use the example of Raytheon, the impact on peak InfoSex is very different from the impact on Raytheon, right? So do they have the same requirements and resources available, timeframes in which they need to meet those requirements? How does it all play out for businesses large and small? So from DOD's point of view and the federal government's point of view, even, again, this is the federal requirement. Size has no matter. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a six-person shop or a 60,000-person company like Raytheon, et cetera. Now, they're all required to implement 800-171 to all the components that are in scope. The catch-22 is when you get into it, we see a very interesting dynamic going on. The SMBs, obviously, are you know the smaller you get, the tighter your cash flow, the less free capital you may be able to tap into. That affects them. And so it's financially harder for them to implement. Interestingly, it's actually culturally and technically easier for them to implement because they are smaller. When you get to something like Raytheon and you start thinking about the way they operate, you've kind of got that Raytheon enterprise level, but you've got a Raytheon Maritime, a Raytheon Aerospace, or, you know, Each of those within that major line of business may have different sub areas that operate totally independent of the enterprise. And it's now the big, huge, large contractors have got the same problem DOD does is how do we train and educate all of our workforce and all of our IT systems to be compliant that are in scope? In some ways, yeah, I tell this to you know, the small clients, I'm going, you've actually got the easier job. I know it's financially hurt you more, but it's easier. Um, the interesting part is when you win the contract, if you haven't already implemented 800-171, by the time you, you win and you are getting CUI, you've got 30 days. If it's in the middle of a certification event, you've got up to 180 days as we hear things right now. The way this will play out is, you know, contracts when they come into effect, 
you will have to be certified in order to win the contract or be on the contracting team. And if you're not, you won't be allowed to be on that contract. And if you've got open items you're resolving, if you can't resolve those within 180 days, this is what we hear from DOD, nothing formal and nothing in writing, is that company could lose the contract and the next most eligible competitor wins. Yeah. So there's definitely impact uh, financial, right? So what you must spend to implement the NIST SP-800-171 perhaps will be some great ROI so that you don't lose that contract, right? Well, and Casey, you're hitting something we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of organizations. DOD has a kind of an interim program out there called the Joint Surveillance Voluntary Assessment where we can come in and do an audit and we're doing it as deputized DOD auditors. They can then get a full-blown DOD audit, which I think is higher quality than CMMC from DOD's point of view. It puts them ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. um, And because companies right now from market pressure are putting more and more pressure on their supply chain to come into compliance as fast as possible, The other thing, you know, we're seeing companies ask us to do um, is to provide letters of attestation that they can then take to their supply chain, you know, go up the supply chain, if you will, and tell the Raytheons, hey, we are compliant. We've had a, a third party assessment organization come in and certify us. Doesn't mean they don't get credit or anything like that. Um, where we've done this in the past, it's kind of a sad story. Good for them, sad for us. We had two clients last year get acquired by Lidos. Did really good getting them up there. Next thing, you know, we've lost all the work because Lidos acquired them and basically let us go. (laughs) We're seeing that right now with a lot of supply chains are kind of consolidating their ecosystem. And it's a great way to grow your business. Yeah, yeah. I think that you answered my last question. What will happen if they aren't able to be in compliance? They lose the contract and and the next eligible contractor would win that contract. Anything else that companies need to do in terms of getting, I don't know if certified is the right word, but compliant, uh, audited, that piece of paper that says you're good to go from DOD? Well, just to kind of come back to losing the contract, This is one where there's also that flow down in the existing clause that's not in effect, that if I win a contract, I need to make sure that Casey's company is also CMMC certified before I give any of that information down to them. So this is going to ripple down that full supply chain once those contracts really start to roll out. So even Um, once you've verified that you're good... Yep. You could still lose the contract because one of your third party suppliers doesn't properly do what they should be doing. And the worst part is when that happens contractually, my company, if I'm the winner, I get the negative black mark on my history record for something somebody below me did. Mm. And this is why we see so much market pressure right now to make sure everybody's coming into compliance before this actually goes into effect. There's a lot of people who are kind of like, well, it's not in effect yet. They're sitting on the fence. And I think, unfortunately, they're going to find themselves losing a lot of work when this really it starts to hit. Yeah, I hope it's not a picket fence because that's really uncomfortable to sit there. You got to jump off and take a side. 
Oh, it is a full-blown picket fence. And a lot of them are on the fence and some of them are on the other side of the fence. And yeah, so it's going to be a stampede is kind of our fear. When companies do need to get certified and get ready, yeah, first and foremost, work with a qualified firm. Like any other information security framework, and I was working with a company today and just walking them through some stuff. It's not only the framework, DOD also have supporting information that there's a lot of nuance and other hidden things in the requirements that prescribe the implementation, but they can also give some latitude for implementation for breathing room. So it's not overly mm-hmm. restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of consulting in that space to help clients to get ready. But once they think they're ready, they really should contact an authorized C-3PO to start that process to get certified. We're getting clients contacting us now saying, hey, we want to get on your books. We're not sure when this is going to go into effect, but can you get us on your list? And, you know, we start working with them at that point in time. And again, in this interim time, DOD does have that uh, kind of the voluntary one. It's you know, from a bad analogy, but it's kind of similar. It's kind of like inviting the IRS in to audit you. Um, from a cybersecurity point of view, you can do I'm it. I'm sure everyone's going to jump right on that opportunity, Matt. <laughs> it, it sounds bad. It, we do have clients actually asking for that uh, yeah. because DOD takes your score. And if you're self-attesting, it's considered basic. When they do the audit, which we would be doing underneath them and in, in, as that deputized auditor, it's considered a high. So it's a lot higher quality. Right. So people are using that as a market advantage to grow their yeah. business and or get better chances to win the contract. Yeah. Yeah. That assurance is really meaningful and powerful for them, I'm sure. Matt, thank you so much for being here. This has been such an insightful conversation. I really appreciate your taking the time to join us and talk to the RSAC audience about this really important topic. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. To find products and solutions related to supply chain security, we invite you to visit rsaconference.com forward slash marketplace. Here you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist with your specific needs. Please do keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year round. Until next time.